Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pippen, here as the NBA Finals continue to roll on. We are on the road to Game 2 here, and today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Joining me today on the show to continue to break down Game 1, to look ahead to Game 2, is a familiar voice and a very familiar face as well a man that covered the team for many years with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and now is working over at Bleacher Report. Matt Velasquez, thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate you coming on. And it's, uh, it's a blast from the past, and it's, it's very welcome. You know, I feel like you and I, like we should be there, right? Like we should be covering the NBA Finals. Like all of our time spent together was, was covering the Bucks and, and their trials and tribulations and their, and their, and their, and their joys. Um, and all those all those things over the years. So I'm I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be with you uh, over Zoom and talking about the team now that you know they are in the NBA Finals. Well, I will say when I messaged you um, in the morning and asked you whether you were feeling as bitter as I was about not being in the arena, your response actually resonated with me. You said, ah, "I'm kind of actually enjoying the fact that I can just kick back and relax and watch the games without the stress of having to cover." And in the re- in recent months here in Australia. I picked up some work with a newspaper, the Herald Sun, over here in Melbourne. So I've been introduced to the regular deadline writing, which is not something that I've been used to in the past. And I always used to comment on watching you work. And I, I remember one time when we were back in Milwaukee and the Orlando Magic beat reporter was not able to make the game. So the Orlando Sentinel said, can you cover the Magic tonight for the newspaper? And I was like, sure, I'll do it. Not really knowing what I was getting myself into. And I was sweating after the game. I was, uh, I was a nervous wreck. Like, first of all, I didn't really know the Orlando Magic either. So that was like part of the issue. But deadline writing is no joke. And uh, so I do kind of sympathize with your thoughts that you can just kick back, watch the game and not have to think about writing a story within five minutes of the final buzzer. Yeah, I remember that night at, F- at Pfizer Forum. You looked like you were like physically hurt um, after, after finishing your shift there covering the magic. It was kind of funny for me because I was like, hey, like this is what I do. And you're like, man, I have so much more respect for you. You can probably hear my dog Rudy barking at a storm. Uh, there's a storm coming through here in Indianapolis. So feel free to edit this or not. It's fine. You know, just a, just a dog stressing. Um, but anyway, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really nice to be able to, um, you know, when the NBA finals are on, I can sit down, I can watch, I can enjoy it. Um, you know, I've been enjoying all these playoffs. I've been watching as many games as I possibly can. Bucks, not Bucks. Um, just, you know, get a chance to watch the NBA is great. And so, you know, when I have the opportunity, um, you know, to just sit there and watch and enjoy and read tweets and all, all stuff like that. You know, there were a lot of times where when I was covering the team, I was like, man, I wish... They're like, I didn't have to write anything off this game. I guess I know it's my job and that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, but I just thought, hey, if I can 
just sit here and enjoy this game, like the like the history and the moment, and you know the the great plays by great players, without having to stress about, oh my gosh, how do I make this coherent on deadline uh, for everybody else? Um, you know that that was something that I, I wish I could do, and now I can do it, and it's super awesome because the games, I mean, especially the ones that the Bucks have been playing since we're talking about the Bucks here, they've been really good. All right, can I just? gives the listeners a bit of an insight here of what I've just watched you do. And we're going to get to game <laughs> one. So we're going to dive, we're going to dive into this right now and talk about game one, then project ahead to game two. So don't worry for the listeners here. We are going to get to the basketball, but I just watched Matt as he was talking there without even breaking stride in his sentence, get his, Rudy, the dog, corral the dog into a, I, I guess it's, it's cage or it's area, whatever. His crate. He feels safe there. And I just didn't even hesitate with one word. It's one of the most incredible things I've seen live here on Zoom. So shout out um, to you for being able to do this. But this game one, I, I look, we, we discussed it in the post-game show with Frank. As I always say, if you didn't catch that, go back and you can listen to that one. We broke it all down. But for you watching this game, are you glass half full or glass half empty for the Bucks? I, I think across the... The stats, if you looked at the box score, a lot of the numbers probably didn't indicate that the Bucks should lose this game. But we know that, that watching this, that the areas of concern coming into the series definitely played themselves out in this game. I think depth is clearly going to be a talking point as we continue to move through the series. But what were the key takeaways from you watching the Bucks in this one? I think I was more glass half full uh, if I had to, to pick a side. I think in the first half... They had a bunch of shots like right at the rim that for whatever reason didn't get down. Like I, I know there was like a Chris Middleton layup that was like a basically uncontested layup. Yeah. It's kind of like rolled off the rim. Like the kind of stuff that just like, you know, it's not gonna happen most of the time. This is a team that really shoots well inside the restricted area. That's where they like, you know, really make their money is getting into the paint, getting into the restricted area, uh, and being able to score at a at an efficient rate. Um so the fact that they weren't making some of those and it was a close game through a lot of that first half. Um, you know, if they, if they make you know even half of the the paint shots that they missed, I mean they're either tied or winning, like at halftime, and that kind of changes the complexion of the game. Uh, I, I think that their defense, while yes, there are things definitely to work on and tighten up and get better, uh, get better at in, in terms of game two. I think there were a lot of times where they executed well, and Devin Booker and Chris Paul made shots. Like you're talking about two like elite, especially like mid-range uh, performers, guys who can score from from every level, but especially in the mid-range, um, and, and they made good, tough, contested shots. And so, you know, obviously, when they're doing that, it makes it a lot harder to defend them. Um, you know, but that's something that the Bucks can kind of hang their head on. Hey, we we had good possessions, um, but how do you kind of take it a step further uh, from that into getting stops? And I guess the last thing is, Giannis played. Like he played 35 minutes. He looked good. He looked, I don't think he looked exactly like he was like a hundred percent Giannis, but like, you know, maybe he was feeling it out a little bit, but like when you see like a chase down block, like he had, you know, and, and, and some of the, the rim attacks that he went on, like they, they looked like vintage quintessential Giannis. So um, I think he'll only be healthier and better come game two. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I think there's definitely room for the Bucks to get better uh, as, as the series goes along. Um, but I don't think the difference between, you know, at least on the scoreboard from, you know, in game one isn't as, as drastic 
as you know as the scoreboard might have you believe. So game one was always going to be a danger game for the Bucks, and it always is. So if you're coming into a start of a series, you're on the road, you know you're going to be hit with that wave. And it probably came a little bit later. I did comment on the show yesterday that I thought the Bucks looked remarkably relaxed starting this game. They were running some good offense, hitting some shots. As you pointed to, they missed some around the rim. But as far as Giannis goes, I was a little bit concerned before game one again. And we're all in the dark here because the Bucs just give away absolutely nothing when it comes to injuries, as you know full well, Matt. But I don't, I don't miss that at all. <laughs> but, but for Giannis playing this game, the concern for me was, well, there's only one day off in between. And you have to assume that there's going to be some soreness. There might be some hesitancy. Maybe they're better off waiting to game two or even game three. But again, Giannis is an absolute freak. He came out, he looked better than we could have possibly imagined. And remarkably, the latest update we have, and you saw him from the vision that the NBA sends out, he was out on the practice court today, smiling, laughing, moving, doing whatever he does, looking completely normal. And now he hasn't even been listed on the injury report, which is just absolutely staggering. Giannis admitted himself after the game that he thought he wasn't going to be back at all this season and potentially beyond. As far as Phoenix go, uh, Dario Saric has torn his ACL. And look, that mechanism of that injury, when we looked at the replay, to me, it's it's always pretty concerning when you visibly see some movement within the knee anytime you, you plant that. And you definitely saw that with Saric. He was pretty sore. So that's a blow for them. I, we've already spoken about just purely from the depth piece. If you take away the emotion of the injury, Phoenix, I think, are still you know, in terms of rotation, are going to be fine in, in being able to cover that, despite the fact that Saric played some pretty good basketball for them through the season. But as far as Giannis goes, the 35 minutes was probably higher than I expected he was going to play. He actually checked out of the game at the six-minute mark, and I wondered, you know, are they going to be forced to only play him 25 minutes or so? And then it got to the point in the fourth quarter where you're like, oh, man, they're going Giannis at the five in the fourth quarter? He must be feeling okay. Like, this is pretty crazy stuff. And to get him to 35, which is actually a low number from where Bud has been playing, we know he gets criticized. Uh, I was just going to make that point. I was like, man, like two years ago, I feel like he was playing like 35 minutes fully healthy against the Raptors and the Celtics, you know, on the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's like he just... I kept watching him come back into the game yes, in game yes. one and be like, he's coming back. Like, he's still playing. Like, this game isn't totally out of hand yet. And Giannis is, oh, they're going Giannis at the five. I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> no, me too. Me too. And, and that probably more than anything gave me confidence that, geez, he must be really, really feeling okay if they're willing to do this in a game. At that point, there was still a game. It's the NBA Finals. You don't throw or wave the white flag too early, but it looked like they were going to lose that game. Let's be honest. So I think the other thing that stands out to me, only 11 shot attempts, I think in a normal Giannis game, you expect that to get back up to around 20. I think part of that was the fact that they tried to jump shoot their way back into the game. But I'm assuming from what you already said, you agree. I mean, there is, there is massive room for improvement just purely from what Giannis can bring to the table and, and really probably just getting the confidence of one game under his belt. Yeah, absolutely. Like now that he has that game, like you said, under his belt, like he he's tested it in a game setting. I'm I'm guessing he did not test it mm-hmm. in a in a game like setting uh, at all for fear of of you know hurting himself again. Uh, so I think that you know him having that 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 experience and an extra day to get more treatment and more work uh, is only going to be be better for him. And then he just needs to work on you know getting those free throws down and uh, you know continue to attack. Okay, Matt, let's stop now for a quick note 
from our friends at betonline.ag, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action on BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, whether it's MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. There's plenty of stuff you can get involved with with Game 2 of the NBA Finals and futures for the rest of the series as well. Uh, maybe there's a point total you want to get behind and have a look at. Uh, PJ Tucker, anyone want to go the over for points for PJ Tucker? You'll be able to find it on betonline.ag. It's all there. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs or continue their runs through the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. The promo code there is locked on. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA Finals coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So I guess we should talk about the the defense a little bit here. And, and I've heard a lot of commentary about it. I've certainly gone back and watched the game again. Some of the, some of the numbers that stood out to me, and, and these sort of got funneled through our uh, Slack channel here at, uh, at NBA Australia or NBA Global. And it was a lot to do with the pick and roll stuff um, that we saw. And, and look, it, it's not going to surprise anyone that particularly Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez, when they were in isolation against Chris Paul or Devin Booker, it really, really didn't go well. I think after going back and watching the game, my biggest area of concern is probably Drew Holiday because we spoke a lot about what he's done offensively. We know he's been pretty inconsistent. Last night certainly wasn't one of his best performances on the offensive ends, shooting the ball. Also just some, some lazy turnovers, which he can be prone to at times. I will say this. I will heavily push back on the use of uh, Drew Bledsoe that, that gets thrown out there because Drew Holiday's already done more in this postseason than Bledsoe did in four combined. So let's just get that out on the table. But defensively, Matt, I, I just don't think, and this is the downside of, of switching one through five, I just don't think you're getting the best out of Drew Holiday defensively, which, which let's be honest, if he's going to have an off night, you want him to be physical, you want him to be handing Chris Paul. I just don't think that that is potentially the best option when you're just allowing Chris Paul to say, oh, Drew Holiday's on me. I, I'm going to get this guy off me and just run, run, a, run some screen action. Yeah, there was, some, there was a stretch there. I think it was maybe in the second quarter, uh, maybe late first quarter. Um, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I know that the Bucks had kind of gotten down by you know maybe a more significant margin, maybe double digits for the first time. And they had a timeout and they come out and Drew was fighting harder over screens. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were trying not to switch it mu- as much. They were trying to make it so that, you know, they were going to make it harder on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Uh, and, and those few possessions, it felt like there was like a major shift. Like, you know, they were working harder collecting, not just Drew, but everybody was working harder to stay on their own man and not switch. Which, whereas when they're switching, it seems like they're just kind of like dying on screens mm-hmm. and like re- resigning themselves to just, you know, getting put into the pick and roll and, and, and living with it, you know, which obviously, you know, didn't work. So I think that there is some value in, in not switching and that like you are like, you know, continuing to stay aggressive and continue to force the issue. And you're right. Like Chris Paul doesn't want to see Drew Holiday on him. He doesn't want to live that life. <laughs> like he doesn't want to, you know, 
So, oh, you know what? Like, if I have the choice between going at Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis or even Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday, it's like, I'm going to go at Drew Holiday. Or I'm not going to go at Drew Holiday at all. I'm going to pick anyone else, you know, because that's, you know, obviously an all NBA like defender right there. Um, so I think that finding ways to, you know, and I know they did this in other series, other times during the course of the season where like they kind of pre switch on, on the, the pick and roll. Um, away from the ball, so like you're pre-switching as the big is coming up to set the pick. Set the pick. Someone else is switching, and the big is then switching off to a different guy. So the big for the Bucks isn't getting pulled into the pick and roll. And so if they can find ways to do that and try and get their better defenders out front and make things harder at the point of attack for Devin Booker and, and Chris Paul, um, I, I'm. I mean, obviously they they know more about defense and Bud and his coaches know more about defense than I do. Um, but it seems like. Like making it tougher at that point of attack is at least should be an eff- emphasis because when you look at game one, it just wasn't tough enough at the point of attack. And when you give Chris Paul or Devin Booker a chance to get past the three-point line and start to get into the defense with some space to manipulate, they're going to manipulate and they're going to make shots. Yeah, it's really kind of interesting because as we've discussed the Bucks pick and roll coverage uh, not just this season, Matt, but you know in years gone by, a, a big problem for them was the small, small pick and roll because they, they never switched. They were always able to find the shooter out on the perimeter, which is why towards the back end of this season and even early in the postseason, and you think about a team like Brooklyn, they were happy to go a little bit smaller. You're like, wow, this is this is the kind of versatility that the Bucks haven't had and, and they're willing to put out on the floor and, and when a guy like PJ Tucker becomes so valuable. And I, I think they tried to get away with P.J. Tucker on Chris Paul a little bit early in this game. We saw that had some success with Trey Young, although he was a little bit hobbled in game six. There's no doubt about that. I, I think the other interesting thing is we saw in the Atlanta series that arguably the guy that gave Trey Young... It's, actually, I'm going to say it's not arguable. The guy that gave Trey Young the most hesitancy with the ball in his hands outside of Drew Holiday was Giannis. So as I'm watching this game, and again, it comes down to the health of Giannis, but I was just wondering to myself, even watching on replay, how can you get Giannis involved in more of those actions? And I wonder whether they they do try to put Giannis defending DeAndre Ayton a little bit more if they can. I know that that probably then puts Brooke in positions that he's not usually at, and he's probably going to defend Jay Crowder. I kind of think, well, I don't think they're going to be running actions with Jay Crowder. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Is there anything there where they can try and get Giannis more involved in these screen actions? And if they, if they do switch, even if they're playing drop, I don't think Giannis is, is all that great at playing drop. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But then at least you're switching with Giannis. Can they get him more involved? Yeah, and I think that you know the, the film that they have from playing Giannis at the five in game one is something that they can look at and see, okay, how did this work? What guys need to be on the court with him? You know, because obviously that group at the end, like, was that the best group? Could that be the same group? Can I do that with the starters, like you said, and, and kind of try and quote-unquote hide Brooke Lopez on Jay Crowder? Like, like, what are the options there? And I think they need to go through those permutations and come up with some ideas as, as to how that can work uh, heading into game two. I mean, because if, if Jay Crowder's going to shoot the way he shot in game one, like... You can put like Jeff Teagan. You can put anybody you want on him. It, it, it doesn't matter. Like you know, but obviously, Bucks fans have seen Jay Crowder torch them enough to know that game one was probably an aberration. Uh, he's going to make shots at some point. Um, but you know, if you then try and push the Suns into okay, you know, we're going to run a, a Chris Paul Jay Crowder pick and roll. Well, then you, I mean, I think as the Bucks, that's that's already a win. 
like you don't want DeAndre in, in the pick and roll with Chris Paul. Like you'd rather have it be Jay Crowder because you, I mean, I don't think Jay Crowder is as good of a roller and he's not as much of a rim threat, uh, you know, and maybe he's more of a pick and pop threat, but Hey, like let's see if you can actually put it down and, and do so, you know, at least with a, you know, a seven footer, you know, potentially contesting. So uh, I, I think there are options there, but we'll have to see how can the Bucks keep Brooke Lopez on the floor? Cause his offense was pretty good. Um, you know, he had a bunch of big shots that came at, at moments, especially in the first half, where they just needed a bucket. Uh, and, and he was able to put some down, uh, some, you know, corner three, kind of a deeper three from the elbow, I think. Um, you know, they need stuff like that. Um, so how are they going to be able to best use Brooke? Uh, you know, and I feel like we've seen this in the past. We've seen it in, in this postseason. Everybody says, okay, Brooke's going to get a play off the floor. And then there's a game where he kind of does get play off the floor. And then they change things up where suddenly he's not being play off the floor. Um, and so how can they make that adjustment for this team, for this series? Uh, or is that adjustment just not possible and they're going to have to take him out, go Giannis at the five, smalls around him, lots of shooting, lots of versatility, and, and hope that that's going to be good enough? Well, we saw it against in the Atlanta series where game one, that was the main talking point. Well, you just can't play Brooke Lopez. Game two, he was pretty dominant, but also a part of that dominance was the fact Atlanta missed some shots. And and ultimately, as we've discussed this, a lot of those shots were contested pretty well. Like, no, no, you know, Brooke Lopez isn't going to be right in the face of Chris Paul. The one time he kind of did do that, he got called for a flagrant anyway, and Chris Paul yeah. twisted his ankle. So look, it, it is, it's dangerous. Anytime you have Brooke Lopez guarding Chris Paul, particularly if he's, if he is backpedaling, if you are asking him to defend left to right as Chris Paul gets to that jump shot, it's just really, really, really tough. But again, you know, is Chris Paul going to shoot that well every game, all series? The numbers suggest no, but, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen there? But ultimately, when I think about this, they also just can't take Brook Lopez off. I mean, they, they can't play a series where he doesn't play. I mean, look at the guys that they have in this rotation right now. And even if you look at the lineup where they went small, I think part of it was the fact that Bud understood that, listen, this is the NBA Finals. It doesn't matter how much you lose this game. Like I know people get really fired up about the margins at the end of the day, but they were in a position where it's like, well, we're either going either gonna to shoot our way back into this and make this interesting with Bryn Forbes on the floor and try and knock down some threes, or we're going to get blown out. It doesn't matter. Let's just, let's just try this. They went small. But with this rotation, they, they can't, it, you can't go through a series and not play Brook because they've only got really seven guys that they, you feel confident that they can put out on the floor. And that's if Bobby Portis is able to be a factor in the series, which he wasn't in game one. So, I mean, they're, they're just really, really light on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think some, some of it too, you mentioned Brent Forbes, they, they have to make sure they're not getting stuck in the rut of, you know, kind of like a like a Cal Corver type situation mm-hmm. where like when he's on the floor, everyone on the defense is just like, well, he's here to shoot. They're going to run plays for him. Like the, the sun's like cut off at least two like set plays that I can remember that were very obviously for Bryn Forbes. Like, and yes, like there were other set plays that were for Bryn Forbes that he got and he made the most of, or at least he got clean shots off. Um, so like, you know, they, they can still scheme things up to make it work. Um, you know, but you have to disguise those things a little bit better. You have to, you know, make sure that you're not just like, oh, Bryn's on the floor, time to let him shoot. Like, you, you have to make it work in the flow of the offense and, and find ways to, I mean, maybe part of it is the Bucks had trouble finding any flow on offense at the beginning of the game. So, um, you know, that's kind of kind of an issue, especially in the second quarter, third quarter. Um, but yeah, there are only so many guys that, that they can play. And, and I get, you know, for as much as I joke about it and tweet about it, like, I get why Jeff Teague is in the game at times. Like, 
they 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 can't play everybody forty plus minutes every game. Um, they 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 do need to give these guys some breaks. Um, you know, just the the question is like, how long should those breaks be, and when should they come, and and how do you kind of minimize the the effect of of bringing in your bench, regardless of who it is, Jeff Teague, Bryn Forbes, you know, Pat Connaughton, whatever. You need to be able to, to kind of mask whatever you're losing. Um, you know, and so I think that there should always be two of Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis on the court probably at any time in the series. Like, you can't have multiple of those guys out. You need to have, you know, those guys who are your top guys working together, and you need those top guys to play like top guys. And, and Drew didn't do that in, in game one. As you mentioned, um, we're, we're still a very far cry from, from Drew Bledsoe uh, <laughs> comparisons here or Eric Bledsoe comparisons, however you want to, you know, make the joke. Um, we're, we're far cry from that, but you know, he needs to be better. I'm sure he knows he needs to be better. Um, and, and I, I feel like it's, I don't know, maybe you can, you can fill it in for me. Has there been even a game this whole postseason where Giannis drew and, and Chris have all been on? Like, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, but, the closest you're going to get to that is potentially game seven against Brooklyn when drew showed up for the last couple of minutes and, and over time. But yeah, it's, do you, do you get the sense? I brought this up yesterday. I just, I mean, Holiday was excellent in game five and game six. Yes. He also had the ball in his hands a lot more. The geometry of the defense obviously changes when Giannis isn't out there. Even though the Bucks were actually dominating the paint against the Hawks, it's kind of strange that we've got to this point because those three definitely had stretches during the regular season where they all, all three of those guys played really, really well. It hasn't happened in the playoffs, though. I'm just not sure whether Drew feels totally comfortable with what he's supposed to be doing in the offense when Giannis is on the floor. It's, it's really, really strange. Well, it's built by time now, Matt, and our listeners know. I know you listen to the show from time to time. You will... Be very aware of Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar that has ever been made. And they still have the limited time flavor, the Built Grasshopper Cookie, which is still available here for the next couple of days. It's available from July 6 to July 9. So do not mess around here. The new flavor, Grasshopper Cookie. What does it taste like? This, this is Built Bar's version of the classic thin mint cookie. All the flavor without all that sugar. 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 5 grams of sugar. Uh, can, can you get one out to Australia before July 9? I doubt it, but I would try if I could possibly do so. But if you try it, let me know what it tastes like. Uh, they have the nine original flavors there as well. Uh, get a mix box. I always promote that. You'll get two of each. That'll keep you going for at least 24 hours. But they're healthy for you. Good for pre-workout, post-workout. Pre-game, halftime, post-game, whatever it is, Built Bar is the way to go. Just go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED for 15% off at builtbar.com. Yeah, I got to imagine that Drew is in like the kind of like the George Hill type situation where Bud is probably always telling him, be aggressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like go, I mean, and again, I'm not listening to Bud all the time, which is, you know, kind of nice. Um, but <laughs> n- nothing against Bud, just be at a press conference all he the listened, time. He listens to the show, so he's like, he's like, I can't believe, he's like, I can't believe I even congratulated Matt Velasquez earlier in the season. This is terrible. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Bud would ever listen to any podcast. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just saying this one. I, I'm saying like, uh, maybe a, a podcast about like, travel or, or wines or i don't know something you think he has a smartphone yeah he i mean he's gotta he's gotta <laughs> yeah. 
Um, he, yeah, it, it probably isn't. I mean, maybe it's like the newest one. I don't know. Maybe, like, mm. I don't understand being rich. So like, I don't know if like people, like people who have money just like get phones. They're like, oh yeah, this is just like a, this is just like my phone, but it's like the nicest newest phone. Like who, who knows? But you know, I, I haven't been listening to it, but I assume that he is somebody who's like constantly telling Drew, Hey, like, we as a team trust you. Like we believe you could do great things with the ball in your hands, but the best way to make things happen is to be aggressive, to attack the rim, to then, you know, condense the defense, kick out to your teammates, spin to the hoop, like do the things that make you Drew Holiday, right? And so I I think that sometimes he can flip that switch. Like even when Giannis is out there, there have been games where he's been able to flip that switch even in the the postseason. And you're like, oh wow, like this guy, he works. Like he's he's finding his spots. He's, you know, shooting confidently, you know, from you know, the mid range from, from the outside, um, just doing all those things. So I, I think that, you know, the only way for him to go right now is up. I think game one was, was not uh, a particularly uh, impressive performance. So the only place to go is up and they, and the Bucks really need him to be able to step up in order to, um, you know, even this series. The last one on this game here or game one, or moving ahead to game two. And then I've got a Bucks related topic that I, I need to get off my chest, but it's not necessarily related to the on-court stuff, but I think you might enjoy it. So as far as this series goes, and this is um, just some stuff that I've seen some conversation on Twitter, Bucks fans sort of considering different options, what the adjustments can be. The starting lineup, it is an interesting series for PJ Tucker. And we saw this a little bit against Atlanta. And we at least definitely explored the idea of whether or not PJ Tucker would continue to start. Obviously, then Giannis went down. And just by numbers, it made sense that he would start. I, I will say that I'm probably pretty fine with PJ Tucker being out there in the starting lineup in this series. And the main reason for that is against Atlanta, I really felt that they had at least one terrible defender on, on the floor at, at all times, whether it was Trey Young, whether it was Lou Williams, it was literally someone that they could hide on PJ Tucker and the Bucks weren't really going to take advantage of that. I'm not really sure that's the case with this Phoenix team. I mean, you could argue Chris Paul or Devin Booker, I guess, but they're not awful defenders. Even Chris Paul is, is a strong little fella. He's going to get you in the post. He's going to be crafty. He's going to slap your, slap your shoulder off your arm and then still get called the, the steal. I mean, Chris Paul gets away with some shit, man. So I, I'm not sure whether this is the series where I see that Phoenix are uh, legitimately hiding someone on Tucker. I, 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 that's not high on my list of concerns. No, I, I mean, and everyone has known for years like what P.J. Tucker does, right? He stands in the corner. <laughs> He waits. Someone gives him the ball. He shoots. Like, and in game one, there was a little. It felt like game one was kind of like one of those like weird like Wesley Matthews games where it's like, wait, PJ's like spinning into the lane and like <laughs> and shooting, like like he's like trying to like score inside. Like I don't understand. This is like doesn't compute. It's like your your job is to stand in the corner and shoot there. And like if your guy doesn't respect your shot, well, like this is a guy who's shot a pretty high percentage from the exact shot. Like and like this is like literally like how he makes his money is like playing defense and shooting that shot. Um so either they respect you or they don't. And like that affects the geometry of the uh of the defense and, and of, of the passing lanes for your offense and all those types of things. I think if you're talking about a starting lineup change, like who are you gonna put there? Yeah. Like yeah. you gonna put Pat Connaughton there? Do you have that much more confidence in in Pat Connaughton in the starting lineup? Like does he does he change things all that drastically i mean i guess he shoots from different spots but like you're losing some defense right like you know pat also didn't have a 
super impressive game one. Uh, he isn't somebody who, I mean, and he has been really good. I think he silenced a lot of critics in, in these playoffs. He's, he's been a, a very valuable piece uh, of this Bucks team in this run to the finals. Um, but I don't know that he's necessarily like changing everything compared to PJ Tucker. You're going to put Bryn Forbes there. We've already discussed Bryn Forbes and he's, he's not really helping you on defense. Um, and everybody knows exactly what he wants to do on offense and he can do it from more places than PJ Tucker can, um, you know, but can, can they take advantage of, of his shooting uh, enough? Uh, I don't know if you're going to go like super big and, and put like Bobby Portis out there. Like, I don't know how that helps. I, I don't think that helps. I don't think that's getting you anywhere. And then suddenly, like, you're out of options. <laughs> like, that's really all they got. I mean, this Dante DiVincenzo injury, like, you know, it definitely cuts down their depth. Like, they, this was a team that had maybe, like, eight, nine guys for a playoff rotation. And now it's, like, seven or eight. It, you know, give or take, like, 30 seconds of tenacity at the end of each uh, – at the end of quarters or, you know, something like that. Um, so it, it, I don't know that a – uh, a starting lineup change makes a dramatic difference. I mean, this is who the Bucks are. Like the 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 num- minutes that guys played in Game One is probably going to be somewhat similar. Maybe Giannis can play more. Maybe Chris and Drew can play a little bit more. Um, yeah, but this is who they are. This is what they have to work with, and they have to figure out how to scheme around their guys. Uh, and I don't think a starting lineup change is going to dramatically change that. No, I, I tend to agree. Still, one of the most bizarre moments I can remember of this postseason. Atlanta were really looking to cut down the transition players and, and foul immediately anytime the Bucks had a transition play. But there was one time where PJ Tucker randomly ended up with the ball and he started dribbling up the court and Bogdan Bogdanovich took his second foul on PJ Tucker with the ball in his hands in transition. And I was just <laughs> thinking, I was thinking, what is going on here? But I am still waiting for the PJ Tucker a dunk, NBA Finals dunk. It, it, it's going to come at some time. I don't know if he's going to have to like launch himself off someone or Brooke Lopez is going to have to give him a little boost or something like that. But a PJ Tucker dunk is coming. I'm here to tell you. Now, there's one thing I wanted to bring up. I saw it on Twitter today. Larry Sanders, as as he often does, likes to likes to keep himself in the in the news. He likes to stay relevant. Apparently, he was DMing, and I, I think this is real because I think this was on Larry Sanders' Instagram account. He was talking with Brandon Jennings about coming to Milwaukee for a game, and then he was like, yeah, we, we just need to get courtside seats. And I think he was trying to scam his way into courtside seats somehow. And, and I just want to say this. He's still getting paid over a million dollars from the Bucks right now. And look, Brandon Jennings is a Milwaukee legend. He can get free courtside seats. If you want to get Carlos Delfino out to uh, the Fireset Forum, I'll accept it. If you want to get Jerry Stackhouse to sing the national anthem, I will accept it. But Larry Sanders, I'm sorry, man. I know that you know you retired. I, I'm not gonna. I don't know why you retired. Mental health. I'm not gonna say anything about that. But you're still getting paid by the team. You are not a Milwaukee Bucks legend. You don't get to walk back in there and get free courtside tickets. I'm sorry. I mean, maybe he should get a seat on the bench. He's still getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just use the rim protection. He might be an option. <laughs> yeah, just, just put him on the bench. See if he can move around a little bit. Uh, it's funny. I was on the uh, the Point Forward podcast. Obviously, your your rival podcast. Uh, my my colleagues, uh, former colleagues at the Journal Sentinel. I was on with them a couple of days ago, and I guess Jim Ozarski, who covers the Bucks now, uh, in my old gig. Uh, he was saying that he he had like Larry Sanders on the phone and he was talking to him about like <laughs> all this stuff. And they were talking about like how he's talking about maybe coming to a game or whatever. And he was reminiscing about like, you know, Brian Jennings making his, his bucks and six proclamation. He was like, man, like he really said that shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, which is just, just fantastic. It's like, you know, 
that's such a crazy statement at the Wisconsin Sports Awards, like of all places. Like just be like, oh yeah, like we're gonna beat the Heat in six. Like just the all, all the ripple effects. No one could have ever seen the 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 beauty that would come out of that. Um and now maybe we'll get a um no, actually I think Larry Sanders should get courtside seats if he and Brandon Jennings chug beers during a timeout. I mean, I think everyone wants to see that. Well, the ev- I, I, I think there is value there. The evolution has been impressive, and I look forward to see what's coming next. Started with chugging beers. Now we've gone to ripping shirts. And and the big question I have with the ripping shirts is I, I assume there's like shirts on the chairs or something like that, but... I wonder what these people, when they do it during the first quarter, do they just have to sit there shirtless? Does, does the pro shop give them a new shirt? I need an update on what's going on with all these ripped shirts. I, I think that it's, it's a calculated move. I, I think that if you go in there, you, know, you can't just like rip your shirt off randomly. Like you have to go in there with a little bit of a plan, a little bit of a, a seam already started maybe. And you're just, you're just trying, to get the attention. Yeah, you're trying to get the attention of, of the video board. Um, and, and so I think that you know, either they bring an extra shirt and keep it kind of on the DL or, I mean, Hey, like it, it's the finals, like being shirtless for a game. Like, you know, I, I think that's allowable if, if you're super into it, I think no one's going to be like, Hey, like get this guy a shirt. Like they're like, Hey, like this guy, this guy, he knows what's up. Like he's ready to party. Let's do this. True. And uh, it is summer, I guess. So it makes some sense. And there is that super jacked Bucks fan that keeps on, keeps on getting on the screens. He looks like Ryback from WWE or Goldberg or something like that. That guy is absolutely massive. It's unbelievable. Anyway, he's... If, he's, I, if I looked like him, I'd have my shirt off all the time. You kind of do. If you were just like absolutely ripped and, a, and a, a little bit taller, you would look like that guy. But I mean, if, if I mean, I guess he's happy to have his shirt off at absolutely any excuse. So uh, I mean, he, he should. Good for him. I actually went to, and I, I must bring this up, uh, last night I went to the Space Jam premiere in Melbourne here, which was pretty cool. So I caught the movie and there was a lot of kids there and lots of families, as you would expect. Uh, lots of Giannis jerseys. And I even saw a, a little kid. He, he must have been like five, six years old. He actually had the, the blue version of uh, the Milwaukee Giannis jersey. So that's a, that's a hardcore fan. So Bucks fans in Australia are, are getting around the team as well. It's good to see. Oh man, that is it's heartwarming. And what a what a nice like subtle flex going to the Space Jam premiere. Like just just mentioning that. Like, oh yeah, just by the way. Well like, they had they had me, let me tell you this. It, the story gets more embarrassing. They had me on the uh it was actually the purple carpet. They had me on the purple carpet interviewing and uh in air quotes uh, celebrities, which by the way, most of Australia is in lockdown right now, so no one can actually travel in or out of the country or in or out of the state. So when it was celebrities, there was some local basketball, some local football players, and that was about it. So I was waiting for Hugh Jackman to walk down the, the purple carpet, but he wasn't there, unfortunately. I mean, you didn't interview like Porky Pig or like Daffy Duck or anything like that? <laughs> they were they, there, they, actually. They were there. <laughs> I, I mean, you obviously missed an opportunity. No doubt about it. So, all right. We're probably, we, could, we don't catch up enough, so we could keep bullshitting here. But game two... 8 p.m. Central Time, and uh, we've just spoke about the atmosphere at Fiserv Forum, and if the Bucks can even this up, I'm telling you, it is going to be absolutely mental for Game 3. It's going to be crazy either way, but hopefully uh, they can pull this one out then a couple of days before Game 3. But Matt, always a pleasure to hang out with you, my friend. Oh, yeah, happy to be here and uh, happy to be talking to Bucks fans once again. I, I wouldn't count myself among you guys. I wouldn't consider myself a Bucks fan. I think that's a, a disrespect to all of you who, who live and die with the team. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of like an intrigued party. I'm a, I'm a Bucks sympathizer. I, I wish them well. 
Uh, I, I know obviously a lot of people within the organization and, you know, players and people who cover the team and people who live in Milwaukee and, and in Wisconsin and who care about the Bucks. And so I, I hope for all good things for all of you guys. And I'm just happy to be able to, to watch and have you guys listen to me ramble, just some guy watching from his couch. Uh, and I hope that uh, this was fun for you guys because it was fun for me. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me, Kane. All right, we'll be back post-game after game two with Frank. He'll be back, hopefully in a good mood, hopefully in a happy mood after game two. But for myself, for Matt, and for Rudy, very well behaved. Uh, I, hope, I hope the night goes well for Rudy. We'll catch you guys after game two.